Hi, this is Ian Wolfe, producer, host and writer for Diffusion Science Radio. I need your support. You can support Diffusion by downloading a free Audible audiobook from audibletrial.com science. Just for getting you to try them out, Audible will pay me a small reward. Or you could click on an Amazon link on diffusionradio.com and Amazon will kick a few percent of what you pay them my way. Please, make a donation directly with the PayPal button on www.diffusionradio.com. Diffusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, paper engineering and city spiders. But first up, here's the news. Take a fairness pill. Researchers at the University of California, Berkeley and the University of California, San Francisco saw people's generosity and feelings about fairness change when they were given tolcopone pills that affected the dopamine reward system in the prefrontal cortex of their brains. Tolcopone is normally used to treat Parkinson's disease. The study is an important step to show how fairness, or a lack of it, is affected by brain chemistry. 35 people in the double-blind study played an economic game in which they divided money between themselves and an anonymous recipient. It's called the dictator game. After taking the drug tolcopone, participants divided the money with strangers in a fairer, more equal way than after taking a placebo. People also valued other people's generosity more. The researchers found that under the influence of tolcopone, game players were more sensitive to and less tolerant of social inequality, the perceived relative economic gap between a study participant and a stranger. Could this pill treat antisocial behaviour? Does this pill cure followers of Ayn Rand's radical selfishness? Ayn Rand's philosophy of selfishness as a virtue famously influenced such famous people as Alan Greenspan, the former head of the US Reserve Bank. And how fair would it be to give a pill to people to make them more generous if they didn't care about inequality in the first place? I don't care... I haven't taken the pill. More experiments are needed. The paper was published in the journal Current Biology, titled Dopamine Modulates Egalitarian Behaviour in Humans. Get up early when the sleeping pill wakes me. I take a wake up pill to fill with energy. I power on hard and I check my messages. But I don't have any messages. I take a driving pill and head to my car. I drive around a bit because work isn't very far. I call my phone and I check my messages. But I don't have any messages. All I know is driving on drugs feels better when they're prescription. All I know is the world looks beautiful, the world looks 
damn beautiful I feel fantastic And I never felt as good as how I do right now Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day When I felt the way that I do right now Right now I feel fantastic And I never felt as good as how I do right now Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day When I felt the way that I do right now Right now Right now Anything but quiet these days I try to mitigate my concentration haze I can see the day unfold in front of me So I take the stairs and hit the gym The phone is ringing when I get to my desk What was the sting and sour sharp pain in my chest So I take a calm and X and just chill And then it's time for lunch again All I know is work is easy When you don't stress out about deadlines All I know is I take my medicine I always take my medicine Fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now. Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now, right now. I feel fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now. Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. was Jonathan Colton of jonathancolton.com with I Feel Fantastic. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Last week I visited Maker's Place, a community makerspace in Leichhardt for their monthly show and tell. There I met Jean Cropper. Jean is a paper engineer working in Sydney. She designs pop-up origami-like structures in paper that help businesses tell stories. I began by asking her how she started. Uh, my father was an engineer and my grandfathers and great-grandfathers were engineers, so I always built things with him. And I suppose I learned an understanding of materials and building with materials and building processes and an understanding of the technical side that how that would mix with making a product or designing something creative. And I really enjoyed the making of things and being able to create something. And in school, I studied physics and engineering, drafting and fine art and wanted to figure out how to combine those sorts of things. Uh, I studied physics and art at university and then 
couldn't find where I would combine that in the working world. Uh, I worked in graphics and advertising. Uh, I worked in uh, hand paper making and as a fine artist, uh, creating images in paper and uh, doing printmaking. Um, and then I also uh, took paper into making cards, making handbound books, making paper sculpture. And I would see all these wonderful stories told in art galleries with sculptural pieces of paper. And people would want to pick them up. People would want to look at them. And they were intriguing. And I thought, well, let's see, what are other ways of telling stories? Uh, and the sadness was that the, all these interesting art pieces would sit in a gallery and very few people would see them. And I thought, well, could we translate those interesting uh, structures, those interesting shapes, and tell other stories? or somehow tell stories that would go further and reach a lot more people. So having had a background in graphics and advertising, I thought, well, what about businesses? Uh, there are many businesses who are unique, who are telling uh, interesting stories, who are innovative. And I thought, well, what if we took business uh, stories or business uh, marketing messages and translated those into origami-like forms that the, their potential customers would look at and go, wow, you know, who is that from? What does it say? Uh, I want to see that. I want to touch it. And that it, those message pieces would work in a commercial sense because the, uh, the business would be able to com communicate what was unique in their products or services. And the potential customers on the other side would really want to read them, would want to explore those messages. And in a business sense, it, they would uh, be responded to, they would really be read, and it would help the business because it would make intangible products more understandable. And it would be a, big, a good place to begin a business conversation. So my uh, business, uh, Paper and Pixel, is basically built around uh, designing inventive structures that are foldable and they're produced in either paper uh, with commercial printing or uh, in polypropylene for point-of-sale displays or um, commercial messages for trade shows. So uh, yeah, all sorts of fabulous, wonderful ways of telling stories in inventive ways and such that people enjoy reading them. So it's sort of like pop-up books instead of just pamphlets. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I, I loved pop-up books as a kid, and I used to take them apart to figure out how the structures worked. And, uh, yeah, so that's sort of gone uh, full circle. Uh, yeah, and I, I sort of chuckle now because I, I realize I have a profession I never heard of as a kid and that uh, my father would be rather tickled because I did eventually become an engineer, just a paper engineer. <laughs> so, yeah. So if you could describe some of your creations for people so they get a good picture. I mean, we'll put photos on the website, sure, but so sure. people have an idea. Yep. Uh, okay, I did a small piece for a uh, St. Patrick's Day lunch. Uh, it was the largest St. Patrick's Day lunch in the world, and it was advertising a group that... Um, was sort of like a Facebook group for um, Irish business people and the folded piece was at each place setting at the, the luncheon. So it was a fun little piece that people could put in a pocket and take home and it was interesting enough people would play with it and read it. Uh, most recently I did a piece for Fuji Xerox. They were doing a launch of a new printer uh, 
and they wanted a pop-up uh, invitation to go to owners of printing companies to bring them to the launch. So there was something that a printer would say, wow, that's interesting. How is that made? Oh, I know how that's made. Oh, that's fun to play with. And then they would read the piece and understand it was from a printing company, so the the shape or the interesting structure in a printing form would make sense for the, a printing company to use. And then also um, they would get more media exposure because journalists would be interested to read it as well. Uh, so yeah, also I'm just talking to a, a solicitor whose dad is turning 100 and he owned racehorses during his life. And the son wants to do a luncheon for his dad's 100th birthday. And he wants table decorations that have the shape of a racing horse on them. So we're going to personalize them with the name of the eight racing horses he had and make table decorations for the tables for the 100th birthday party. So I, I get to design all sorts of exotic things. Uh, but basically, it always involves paper and polypropylene being printed and folded in, in exotic shapes. And what sort of machines are involved in doing the folding and cutting? Okay, there are three different processes that can be used for production. Uh, I will design the, at first uh, on paper by hand and cut the shape and remake and remake and remake, uh, making corrections each time until the shape is correct. Then I will translate into a uh, design in Illustrator on a computer. And that would be black and white lines uh, showing where the cuts are in the folds. And that then goes into production to one of three. It can either be laser cut, and that would be for very detailed pieces, uh, generally lowish volume, so it might be under 200 quantity. Uh, and the sheet size would be about uh, A3 generally. So not, not particularly large pieces, but very good for... Uh, postcards and cards and small items. Uh, the second is using a um, cutting table and that's basically a large vacuum table that you put a sheet of paper on and then there is a uh, robotic cutting arm that will match my uh, line drawing and cut the paper and uh, score the paper for folds and then it will be hand folded after that. The, and that can be for larger items and again generally uh, lower quantity, so you, you, you probably wouldn't do more than 100 items on, on that. The third version is a die cut, and that's a, a more commercial process uh, where you have a die made from my drawing again, and that would be a slab of uh, heavy um, plywood, maybe 30 millimeters thick, and a metal strip of steel, thin metal strip of steel is bent uh, to match the shape of my drawing. And if the paper is being cut, the top edge of that strip of steel would have a sharp edge. If the uh, line is to be uh, a fold, it would have a rounded edge. So the die would then either bang the paper to uh, make a score for a fold, or it would cut the paper uh, so that it it, it's cut to the shape of the structure. So it's either laser, uh, cutting table, or die cut for the processes. With the die cut, that might be for direct mail campaign, and you might make 900, or you could make 40,000 with that process. So with all of them, the piece would be commercially printed on a, a standard uh, printing press, uh, digital or um, offset, and then it would be cut using any one of those three processes. 
And so where do people look for your work online? The business name is Paper and Pixel. And we have a website. I also have a lot of uh, videos on YouTube to give a sense of, of what I do. So Paper and Pixel on YouTube. And my name is Jean Cropper. And it's an unusual name. It's Danish from a town in southern Denmark. I'm fairly, fairly easy, easy to find. But basically, I'm a paper engineer and a direct marketer. So I help businesses and uh, anyone who wants to communicate a message in a really unique way. And particularly for people who are, are doing something innovative, doing something that's cutting edge, something that might be intangible. And I help make what they produce or whatever they're offering is tangible and communicate that in a funky, interesting, inventive way. And so that other people want to hear what that story is, what that business offering is, and make it fun to, to discover. Well, I suppose the main products that I, I that we make from that, or the, the main places it, it's useful in the market, when people are going to trade shows and they want something inventive to hand out, that's a great place. Digital marketing is, is fabulous and useful in many, many ways, but uh, paper is very good for face-to-face. Uh, it also works very good for direct mail because email may have a 3% open rate to, to strangers while dimensional mail, which is pop-ups, has about a 95% open rate. So if you really want to get your message through to somebody, pop-ups are a really wonderful way to do it. We also do table decorations for events and yeah, all sorts of inventive things that people come to me for that I am happy to, uh, to, to make for them. So yeah. Well, Jean, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Jean Cropper at Maker's Place, talking about engineering structures in paper. You can find her online at paperandpixel.com.au. And finally, another presenter from the FameLab New South Wales Heat. FameLab is a competition for public communication of science by early career researchers run every year by the British Council. The British Council is an international organisation promoting education in the arts and sciences. The judges for the New South Wales State Heat of the competition were Helen O'Neill, the Country Director of British Council Australia, formerly Senior Advisor to the Australian Arts Minister. Dr Angela Crean from the University of New South Wales School of Biological, Earth and Environmental Sciences, where she studies non-genetic inheritance, parental effects, sperm quality and plasticity. And Rose Hiscock, Director of the Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences. They were judging on the values of good science, persuasive communication and style. The host of the night was the surfing scientist and star of ABC's TV catalyst, Ruben Meerman. Our next speaker is from the University of Sydney. Uh, It's Lizzie Lowe and she's going to speak to us about spiders in cities. Please welcome Lizzie Lowe. When we build cities, we drastically change the landscape. We take vast expanses of bushland and we cut it up with roads. We build houses and we concrete over these entire areas. And it's no surprise that this drastically changes the habitats of a lot of our native animals, driving many of them to extinction in our urban areas. And this is a really big problem because we need nature in our cities. Biodiversity is vital, not just for a healthy functioning ecosystem, but for the health of humans as well. Studies show time and time again that we are happier and we're healthier when we're in contact with nature. But thankfully, not all animals avoid cities. And there are some that are really loving it here. The really interesting thing is that living in a city changes these animals. 
For example, there are birds that have changed the pitch of their call so they can be heard over traffic noise. There are other birds that lay their eggs at a different time of year or completely stop their yearly migrations. So they're changing their biology and their behaviour, possibly even evolving as a result of the changes that we've made to their habitats. And this is really fascinating. Urban ecologists like myself are trying to work out how and why this happens. But I don't study birds, I study spiders. They may not seem like something that we particularly want to encourage to live alongside us, but spiders, again, are a really important part of these ecosystems. Not only do they eat insects that would otherwise decimate our plants, but they also are an important food source for birds. There's also some spiders that particularly like cities. So, I need to work out which ones. Imagine your back garden. How many spiders do you think are living there? Maybe just a couple of huntsmen and a redback? Now, don't freak out, but when I surveyed spiders in the Sydney, uh, surveyed gardens in the Sydney area, I collected 5,000 spiders, and some gardens had up to 20 different species of spider. This is really amazing diversity, and remember, it's a good thing. We need our spiders. So what are the spiders in the city doing differently to the ones out in the bush? At this point, Lizzie held up a jar of spiders. Well, these beautiful girls here are a great example of a species that does really well in the city. Not only are there more of them, but they're actually growing bigger. This is probably a result of more food and warmer climates in the city. But not only do they grow bigger, they're also changing their life cycles. These guys hatch earlier and develop faster in some areas. And they also um, are living longer in areas where there's more food, like cities. So spiders are getting fatter, in, in, and they're changing their life cycles in the city. What's really interesting is that spiders, like birds, are also changing their behaviour. And I've found that spiders in urban areas are less active and less aggressive. Maybe they've worked out that being active isn't a great thing when you live right next to a highway. So, spiders are fatter and less active. That sounds uncomfortably familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> but anyway. As we're building more cities around the world, it's becoming increasingly important to understand how what we're changing is affecting the animals that are living there. And what we want to be able to do is by understanding spiders like these and how they do well, we can build better, more biodiverse cities and try and encourage everything to live in cities, not just us and spiders. Who doesn't love spiders, right? That's what I think, yeah. So you've started by doing surveys and looking yeah. and comparing. Have you actually started running any experiments and testing oh what's yeah, causing definitely. them? Yeah, so one of my favourite experiments was actually I collected about 200 of these guys and they do get really big. And I basically popped them out in sites all over Sydney. <laughs> you guys are going to really love this. So I popped these really big spiders out into these sites and I basically went back and checked them every month and saw how they're doing. How big are they? Are they getting any bigger? What are they eating? How long are they living for? And that's a way that I can really study whether the ones in the city are doing differently than the ones in the bush. So I popped them out there, checked the ones in the city, checked the ones in the bush and compare how well they're doing. They just love cities. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so your interest in the subject area, so you, you're, you're you are interested in cities or in uh, the animal life in, yeah. in the city? Well, Which, where do you come from? I consider myself an urban ecologist. Yeah. So I'm interested in all animals and how they cope with cities. The real driving factor for me is I'm really passionate about urban biodiversity. I feel like we really need to have cities that aren't just good for us. They've got to be good for everything. Spiders are a really awesome model for this because there's so many different types. 
They're really fascinating and some of them do particularly well. But there's other spiders that won't go anywhere near cities. And so that dichotomy makes it a really, really great system. And just out of your personal interest, you know, when you're talking about uh, being interested in, a in animals yeah. in cities, what about humans? Are you, are you moving up the chain and, and thinking... To be honest, humans are doing okay. They yeah, don't right. need my help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that, but... <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you very much, Lizzie. A round of applause, please. That was Lizzie Lowe talking about her research with urban spiders. You can find out more at britishcouncil.org.au slash programs slash science slash lab. Spider-Man, Spider-Man Does whatever a spider can Spins a web any size Catches thieves just like flies Look out, here comes the Spider-Man Is he strong? Listen, buddy He's got a radioactive bug Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead Here there there goes the Spider-Man In the chill of night At the scene of a crime Like a streak of light He arrives just in time Spider-Man, Spider-Man Friendly neighborhood Spider-Man Well then fame he's ignored Action is his reward Look out, here comes the Spider-Man That was Michael Bublé with Spider-Man. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. A big thank you to Joanna from DY for her generous donation. Would you like to hear your voice on Diffusion? Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the community radio network, including 2HHH in Hornsby, Karingai, 2NVR in Nambaka Valley, 2XX in Canberra, and 3MBR in the Mallee border districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And do check the website for photos and links about this week's show. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. <laughs>